Good morning, guys, um, here in the room and online as well. My name is Naomi, and um, I'm really excited to be kicking off our new sermon series for the summer. So for those of you who um, have not been around, we've just finished doing a three-month series taking us right from Genesis through to Revelation, and um, it was epic. We learned so much. Um, but this week, we're beginning our new summer series looking at the theme of restoration. And we learned through the last three months how God has been patiently doing a work of restoration towards him for his people across generations. And we can see echoes and ripples and threads of that restoration in our own lives in big ways and in small ways. But we also know that there are areas of our lives, places in the world around us, situations and circumstances which feel very far from being restored. Like Andy was sharing with us last week, we live in the tension of the now and the not yet. We live in the tension of that which is restored and that which is not yet there. And what I think I'm learning is that just as God is not static in the work of restoring, so neither are we. As we are joined with him through Jesus, underpinned by the spirits, we're moving with him, following him as he continues to work restoration for us. And so this summer, we want to take um, some time to look at lots of different areas in our lives, our persons, and move with God further towards a life that is restored in him. We'll look at the most important parts of ourselves, our rest, our bodies, our minds, our work, our worship, giving each one over to God as we, as a society, tentatively emerge into the light again. And I would hope that there would be an opportunity for us to choose hope again for restoration once more. Now, this could be easily misconstrued as being like a self-help sermon series. Uh, it is not. This is about choosing to believe that all that we are, all that we have, and all that we do can be good, and more importantly, can find its place of home, of security, and of fullness in the goodness of God. And that's the clincher, a full life held in the goodness of God, orientated towards the love of God. Today, we're looking at one particular verse in John chapter 10 as we open this series. And it's important to know what comes before it, before we just go in cold and read and read it. It comes at the end of a section where Jesus takes time to reveal to those that he is with why he is not just the true king, but why he is the trustworthy king, the one who can be trusted. And he explores that through a metaphor that is present all over the Bible, a picture of sheep and their shepherd. You see it from the plains outside Egypt, through the utterances of the prophets, from the songs and psalms of David to the words of Jesus himself over the Gospels. We see this image of sheep and the good shepherd come back again and again. And in one regard, perhaps it fitted in culturally. But in another, there is a deep significance about this imagery because you can tell a true king the same way you can tell a true shepherd. 
A true shepherd knows their flock intimately, leads their flock carefully, and lays themselves down for the sake of those in their charge. And that kind of goodness was needed because the beginning of that chapter talks about the thief and the intruder, the things that usurp and seek their own means and ends that do not know intimately or lead carefully or give themselves up for. So that's the mind frame that we're in as we approach this verse, the mind frame of sheep and shepherds. And we're facing this true king, this true shepherd, this trustworthy Jesus. And then we read this at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let me pray. Jesus, our good shepherd, as we turn to your words this morning, God, we want to encounter your goodness. So will you come and open up this word to us so that we can see with fresh eyes the goodness of God held out for us. Amen. We will probably all have very different definitions of what a full life is. For some of us, maybe life is always full and it's kind of a little bit too full. It's full of family and work and responsibility and that fullness maybe feels like a bit of a highway that you're not really sure how to get off. For others, maybe life used to be full and this past 18 months or other circumstances have kind of stripped quite a lot of that fullness from us. That was probably one of the things that I find the hardest over the many lockdowns that we have endured. The idea that I used to have this really full life and suddenly all of the fullness, all of the brightness, all of the things that brought so much richness were put on hold. The fullness that feels like too much is not insignificant to Jesus. And the fullness that feels like it has been lost is not insignificant to Jesus. But what is Jesus talking about here whenever he talks about life in all its fullness? Because surely he can't just mean what we think of when we think of that. Maybe it's like that moment in the Gospels where Jesus meets the woman at the well and they're talking about water and she thinks they're just talking about normal water until it becomes clear that Jesus is talking to her about a very different kind of water altogether. Not the normal water that will leave her thirsty as it should, but living water, which is not really anything like normal water at all, that will quench her internal thirst in a way that nothing else ever would be able to. Her water not like his water. This fullness is not like his fullness. So how might God be restoring his fullness to us and what kind of life would that look like? So let's walk through this verse together and see what appears to us. We begin with the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. A full life in Jesus is going to be contested. There's no point in beating around the bush because Jesus didn't. A full life in Jesus will be contested. 
The enemy of God wreaks havoc in our lives and in our world, and we are not immune. But I don't need to tell you that because that much is abundantly clear to all of us. Now, this is not a like, see a devil around every corner kind of point I'm making here, but it is a don't be surprised by hardship kind of point. A full life in Jesus is one that exists in the midst of a fractured world, and we will collide with that brokenness in our time here. Later in John, in chapter 16, Jesus tells us this very thing again. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, which is a very cheery verse to sit in on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Thankfully, he doesn't finish there, but it's important to not just rush from that point because it's real. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world, which leads us into the next part of that verse, which is the moment of relief. I have come. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come. Sometimes it is trouble. Sometimes it is hardship. And that is very, very real. But it's not all that, and it's not always that. A full life in Jesus will be victorious because of those three little words uttered by the Savior himself. I have come. Jesus is declaring something incredibly powerful and incredibly important here for us, I think. And we often rush to the end of the verse, you know, I have come that they may have. But when we pause for a moment on those three words, we find ourselves immersed in the most power-filled statement ever uttered. The coming of Jesus, fully divine and fully human, coming to his creation with the sole means of bringing about a restorative work that only he could accomplish, is of such heady magnitude that we should never stop being amazed by it. This is a moment of deep relief for the human race. And so we know now that even in the midst of trouble and hardship, even in the midst of that which has been stolen or broken, there can and there will be victory because Jesus came. So what does that victory look like? Well, sometimes I think I know and other times I don't. But that word relief feels like something to hold on to when we are holding out for the victory of Jesus. And so I would encourage you to allow Jesus to minister relief to you today and perhaps hear him speak that reminder over you again, that assurance into your life of, I have come, I have come. We finish the verse with this. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I could finish this on a rousing herald of life will be great and it'll be full of joy all the time. 
but I couldn't say that with any kind of integrity. Not because it won't be, but because it won't all be. I want to read a section from the foreword of a book by a guy called Alan Emerson. He wrote a book called Luminous Dark, which explores the, the, his process of grief after losing his wife when he was very young. And Pete Gregg wrote the foreword, and he reflects on hearing Alan speak about this very verse. So let me just read this little section to you. It's another night, a year or so after Lindsay's death. You know that bit where Jesus promises us life to the full, he asks, and I nod, noticing the wry smile on Alan's face, wondering what's coming next. Well, has it ever occurred to you, he says, with his head on one side, that when Jesus said life to the full, he must surely have meant a life like his own. This doesn't seem particularly controversial or profound. I nod again. Life to the full means a life full of joy and miracles like Jesus, right? I try to smile encouragingly, wondering where he's going. Alan looks me directly in the eyes. But wasn't the life of Christ marked by suffering as well as joy? Wouldn't a life like his also be full of struggles, disappointment, and pain? Caught off guard, I put down my drink. How had I missed such an obvious and important insight all my life? How often had I preached on this particular promise, emphasizing only the fullness of joy that Jesus comes to bring, but never pain. A full life in Jesus will be a life like his, which, like Alan said, will be full to the brim in undeniable ways, I hope, of deep joy and of unavoidable miracles. But a full life in Jesus will also be marked by struggles and disappointment and pain. And to deny either reality would be to deny the very life that Christ lived. This life of fullness, of Christ's fullness, this work of restoration that we want to embrace this summer is in one sense about us addressing some of the very important parts of our lives and seeing how God may want to bring renewal there. You know, looking to our rhythms and our habits, the very real things that we participate in. But its framing comes from this place. We don't just want a better life, don't just want a more balanced life or a healthier life. We want a life like Jesus. We want our lives to look more like his life. So what would that journey look like? The journey towards a life more like his. And two words came to mind. I think a life like Jesus is one that is yielded and is one that is hopeful. We can yield and we can hope. And in many ways, there, there may be lots of things that God wants to renovate in your life this summer. But I think the best way you can be open to that 
is with a willingness to yield. I want to yield to the Christ-like life this summer. And I would invite you to as well, because when I look at Jesus, I see a life that was yielded, totally yielded to the will of his Father, even when that came at a great cost. Jesus lived a life that was yielded. I have the total joy of being in a huddle with Pam Lyle, who many of you will know. She is the person that most young women just want to grow up to be. And Pam, yeah, a little whip for Pam, that's great. Um, Pam talks a lot about yielding and what God is teaching her in, in that place. And the most simple yet profound thing I've learned from Pam in that is that yielding is a process. You will not be good at yielding today but you might be a little bit better at yielding tomorrow. And by the end of the summer, your journey to yielding to the hand of Christ will be a little bit further along. So enter into the process of yielding today. We can yield, and secondly, we can hope, which feels a little bit harder right now. But in a similar way, I wonder if growing in hopefulness is also a process. Because hope is held with complete certainty in Jesus. The fullness of hope is in him. I think that Jesus' life was marked by hope. I think he was the most hopeful man that ever lived. And he became hope for us. But it's okay that sometimes our journey towards hope can be a little rockier. It's okay if you don't feel very hopeful today. I would love to invite you to do the very brave thing of choosing hope again today. Because as with yielding, you may not find yourself very good at hoping today. But you might be a little bit better at that tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Not ever in your own strength or by your own effort, but in the power of the gracious hand of Jesus, who is leading you and who is guiding you into a life of fullness. So as we open ourselves up to the restoration that God may want to work in us this summer, Let's choose together to yield and to hope. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we know that sometimes we are not very good at yielding. We often hold things so tightly in our hands and our desire for control is very real within us. But when we look to your life, the most powerful man that ever lived. We see that you were exceptionally yielded. So will you come and teach us how to yield? How to yield our lives to you? How to yield our desires to you? How to yield everything we are and have to you? And will you show us the grace that you have for us in that and take us on a journey of yielding? 
Help us to be okay with our own faltering starts. And Jesus, we also believe that you were full of hope and you are full of hope. And sometimes we are not, but we would like to be. So would you come and restore hope to us again? Little by little, bit by bit, so that as we journey with you, our lives look more hopeful and we bask in the light of your hope for us. And over everything, Jesus, we, we want to have a life that's more like yours. We want to live more like you. Life to the full, meaning a life full of joy and miracles. And embracing without fear the struggles and the disappointment and the pain that we also embrace when we embrace you. We know that one day those things will be removed from us completely, but for now we will not run from them because we want to know the fullness of Christ in our lives. Amen.